Hi, this is Savannah Saunders from The Wonderful World of Dance, and today I am thrilled to introduce Gabe Stone Shea, who was recently promoted to soloist at the American Ballet Theatre, and whose talent is highlighted by being a regular partner of the incredible Misty Copeland. Gabe is also the first African-American male to graduate from the Bolshoi Ballet Academy in its nearly 250-year history. Gabe has featured in a number of dance films, he's toured around the world, and is already choreographing his own work. Gabe has recently launched the Creative Genesis Project and has raised more than $30,000 to go towards creating and presenting new choreographic work, supporting other dancers and giving them work and the opportunity to perform during these challenging COVID times. So, Gabe, thank you so much for joining me. It's so lovely. You're in New York, is that right? Yeah, thank you for having me. And yes, I'm in New York right now. So there yeah. might be a... Uh, a uh, taxi horn or a car horn every so often outside of your window? There will be a taxi and a car horn just to mourn you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm in London and it's um, a little bit dark and a little bit cold. So it's uh, nice to be able to bring the two cities together. Yes. So how have you been dealing with the whole COVID and the lockdown? What's your experience been like to date? I, I have to say I've been pretty... I've been very lucky, um, very privileged. Um, I escaped the city pretty pretty swiftly when um, the company shut down. Um, I went home to Philadelphia for about two days, and then with family, we, we traveled out to Long Beach Island, New Jersey, which is um, a place that we uh, used to own a house, and we call a haven during times of peril. We went there during 9-11 um, and a bunch of other times uh, to escape the city. So it's it's it was kind of um, a perfect place to separate from all the madness. So yeah. you were actually born in Philadelphia. Um, I was born in Philadelphia. So going back home for you is quite natural. But So tell me, when and why did you first start dancing in, in the first place? Yeah, so I was always a very hyperactive kid. Um, before before my memory started recording anything, my mom said that I was I was running around, wiggling, putting on shows, performing, for lack of a better term. Um, I do remember, though. I think I was two or three. One of my earliest memories, uh, my grandmother would speak Ga, which is one of the Ghanaian languages, um, on the phone to relatives, and and I would I would dance between her legs and, and, and spin around and um, to the cadence of her talking. Um, and I think it was around then that my mom asked me if I wanted to do dance classes. Um, I had a pretty, pretty full schedule at a young age. I was doing creative movement, mommy and me, all those sorts of uh, beginning steps classes. Uh, and then started to formalize it as early as six uh, in kindergarten, I, I wrote a journal entry, a journal entry um, <laughs> when you first shape letters. Um, and it said something along the lines of the best day of my life is when I knew I wanted to become a dancer for the rest of my life. So I made a pretty bold uh, decision at a young age to, to do this, even though I didn't really know what it meant. To, to know that you want to be a dancer at age six is quite impressive and to have achieved what you've achieved already in your 26 years is exceptionally impressive. What was it like growing up and as a young male dancer? What was it like for you? 
when you were sort of going out to school with your friends? Did, were they all supportive of you or? Yeah, I mean, I found that um, my close friends were supportive. Uh, there was a lot of bullying as, as, you know, is I guess a regular thing, occurrence, sorry, a regular occurrence um, for males in ballet. Yeah. Uh, so it was quite isolating at the same time. Um, thankfully, from my upbringing and from uh, the strength of my friends, um, I I never questioned my path. I always knew that I was do, going to do it, and and I'm very thankful for the pers- perspective um, that I have and and that was learned and, and nurtured to kind of shut out the noise. It doesn't mean it doesn't affect you. It doesn't mean it's not you know difficult to deal with. But I definitely knew that whatever they were saying didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. No, well, by the time you were 13, I, you were already through some of your you know, years of training and touring nonetheless, which is quite an exceptional thing to be doing at such a young age. Tell me about this experience and what that meant for you at that age. Yeah, so I think you're talking about the Darfur um, ballet. So there's... Um, Rebecca Davis, uh, an amazing, amazing person, humanitarian. Um, she started Mind Leaps, which is an organization that goes to Africa, gives scholarships to students. Um, longer explanation, I'm not going to do it justice. But back then, she had a small dance company that would uh, tackle social issues and, and other sorts of uh, international world uh, problems through ballet and through dance. And the one that she was tackling with me was was the genocide in what is now known as Sudan, um, then Darfur. And uh, I played a young boy, um, one of the main characters, uh, who was, you know, a product of these atrocities, these horrible things that were going on. Um, And I remember Rebecca asked my mom if I could... uh, see some of the images and see some, and learn a little bit about what was going on. And, and I was, I was young, I was 13, but my mom was like, yeah, it's, it's, please do it. Um, and I think it was such an important moment for me because I was connecting something that was so real and so horrible and so, so, um, and extreme and impactful, um, through, the vocabulary of dance and through the vocabulary of ballet. And, and I, could, I really saw the opportunity to be able to really speak through the art form, which is something that I already felt like was innate in me. I, I, I moved to speak, I, I danced to, to talk, um, and, and connecting a real story to, to the movement really was uh, kind of the first time that I had this visceral, visceral, um, reaction on stage um, and was able to kind of unveil that vulnerability um, that it takes to become a real artist on top of being a ballet technician. And what was the feedback like from the audiences who came to to see um, Rebecca Davis's dance companies performing Darfur and your experience on stage, as you, as you say, really yeah. performing that very extreme and uh, just horrid sort of story or you know this is history what was it like for you so I think um for me it was 
again, like the first time, it was the first time I really, I mean, I always emoted on stage and I'm, I was, I'm just a dramatic person. That's another thing that drew, drew me to the performing arts. Um, I'm not performing, but at least I can go under the umbrella of performing so no one thinks I'm crazy. Um, but uh, I remember I had this, this duet with my uh, quote unquote father character. Um, long story short, little backstory was uh, I was, my character was a product of, of rape and my father figure was not really my father, um, but I didn't fully know and whatever. And so it was just this desperate um, duet of, of why don't you love me and <laughs> all this push pull. And I remember the music was so strong and, and, and we're kind of dance fighting slash uh, embracing and doing all these things. And I remember I got off stage the first uh, dress rehearsal of it and my skin was red and my heart was throbbing. And I, I realized I completely threw myself into the process um, to the point where it didn't feel like I was acting anymore. Um, and that was amazing. That was a, an amazing thing for, for me to experience at such a young age. Um, and to the audience, I feel, I feel like I got a lot of um, amazing feedback about what we were saying, what we were talking about, but also how, how it was portrayed and, and um, how real it felt. And that's another, that was another lesson. I got a lot of lessons early on that, um, you know, I don't have to give it to the audience. I have to give it to myself and to my, the people around me. And that will, uh, you know, um, emanate, wrong word, to the audience <laughs> that the audience will be able to see what your experience is if you're having a true experience they'll have a true experience what a, a powerful ex experience as you as you say at such a young age and then and then you go from this this moment this this real deep experience to the rock school and there you are performing classical and contemporary and you're doing nutcracker and you know, which is on the other end of the extreme scale under this performing arts, you know, umbrella you mentioned there. That must have been, you know, quite a, a shift for you. Yeah, I mean, the, there was a big juxtaposition there. I, I had been training with um, Russian teachers prior to joining the Rock School. So I was used to the classical uh, vocabulary and I'd been actually very much whipped into shape <laughs> before doing Darfur. So I was... I was more of a classical dancer, and that's something that I that called to me. Um, but then going to the rock school, it's such an international school in terms of the students and the teachers. Uh, that was also another amazing experience, just experiencing culture, understanding that the vocabulary of dance and ballet is universal, and uh, these things connect all of us. So that was really beautiful to experience. Um, but yeah, just... I think at an early age, I, I understood uh, that I loved I love ballet because I love the regality of the vocabulary, but also that finding the realness, fi finding the reality, the human part of it is so amazing as well. It's such an in, it's such a an intense duality. There, um, you're trying to to present this fantasy. Um, of the impossible in terms of technicality, in terms of story and narrative um, when it comes to like 
you know, being a cavalier or a prince or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the, the root intent is transcendent of humanity and it doesn't have to do with fairies and it doesn't have to do with enchanted forests. It has to do with love, humanity, people, um, relations. And, and um, I think people get uh, a little bit confused because, we're, you know, you're standing like this and you're trying to uh, present yourself as a prince. Um, but it's within the, the fantasy of perfection, um, that you present, um, a beautiful romanticized, um, dialogue, if you will, about humanity. It's like a poem. That's so, so beautifully put. You're, you're so very eloquent. It's absolutely lovely. <laughs> this performance experience that you, you had, uh, no doubt you took with you as you entered into the competition circuit. Um, you competed in a number, uh, you know, the YAGP and the New York International Competition. Uh, you've also received a number of different scholarships um, as a result, you know, the John Cranker's School in Stuttgart and the prestigious Princess Grace Academy of Monaco. Tell me about what that experience was like for performing in competitions, which is quite different. Yeah, um, so, I mean, it's a competition. Um, you, you go, there's, uh, you have a limited amount of time, um, you have a number, it's, it sometimes can feel like a machine and, um, I think there there are two sides to it. A lot of people don't like competitions because they feel that um, ballet is subjective and that you can't rate it. Rate it, um, but you can rate the the technical ability of someone. So I thought that that was important, um, and definitely they do rate the performance of the dancers as well. Um, a lot of people can get lost though in, in the technique, and I think that does happen. I, however, took it as a performance opportunity and and an opportunity for extreme exposure. Um, you know, just in the semifinals, there's a, there's a lot of directors that come from all over America. And then when you go to the, the finals in New York City, um, almost every major director or representative of schools from America to Japan and everywhere in between, they're there, they're watching, and, and that's how... Um, you get these opportunities. That's how I got these scholarships to both. If I wanted to go to Monaco or Germany, um, I was able to. <laughs> Which is a really unique opportunity, as you mentioned. But you ended up at the Bolshoi Ballet Academy in Moscow. Tell me about how you ended up over in Russia. Yeah, so I, I did the summer intensives um in new york they were also based in new york uh where they would they would bring over they would fly over the teachers from the academy as well as a few of the students to help uh with partnering because there weren't a lot of men um and yeah i there's a lot there's a lot to it but um the director of the school came the first summer that i ever did the uh, intensive and she observed the last week of classes as well as the final performance um, and from there um, she offered me a scholarship to come to the school um, and so I at first I split my time between the rock school in Philadelphia and Russia I went there for a few months and came back um, and then finally went for a full year um, while still doing the summer courses with them and and uh, 
working with them. Um, so, you know, altogether, I say I was there for two and a half years. Um, and then after I left, I kept on going back to train with my teacher and to take classes with the Bolshoi Ballet um, to keep that training intact. Well, the training obviously paid off because you won first place for best male dancer, um, which is you know quite the accolade. Um, and you mentioned there you you were um, sort of going back and forth between uh, countries and between schools, which is no no doubt has a, a a very interesting impact on your training because you're not sort of embedded just in one. You're you're split between different types of training. Um, when you went over, um, went over there, and uh, you graduated uh, as the first African American male in its 250-year history, what has that meant for you um, as a role model, but as a as a person and as an artist as well? You know, honestly, it's funny. I think it means more now than it did then, um, because then. I was one of the only Americans in the school. There was maybe three or four of us spread out between different levels. Um, but I went there with a purpose, um, absent of my skin color, absent of any preconceived ideas about anything besides training to be the best. And um, I went there with an open mind and open heart, if you will. and and. I learned the language, I speak, read, write in Russian. I, I, I learned their culture, I was in their country and um, very much embraced the experience there and um, was so thankful for my teacher, uh, Ilya Kuznetsov, who is a pillar still right now. Um, whenever I need to, I'd either call him or just think back to some of those uh, exercises that he instilled in me and, and the ideals that he instilled in me about um, the methodology of ballet. Um, but graduating, I, I was um, graduating as a proud Russian student, <laughs> if you will. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even really think about the fact that I was, I was black um, or African-American because uh, they didn't so much. Um, it wasn't, when, when I worked hard, it wasn't a question that I'd be cast first. When I worked hard, it wasn't a question that I'd be in the middle bar, which is a big deal there, and, and, and so on and so forth. So it wasn't, I, none of my achievements were ever weighted with my culture or skin color, uh, which I was so thankful for there now looking back. Um, because in, in, in now, and like coming back to America, which you'd think would be the, the opposite, um, a lot of my achievements are measured by that, by my skin color, by who they think I am and, and what I may look like to them and their experiences with people who may seem like they could be like me. Um, so I now know that, you know, promoting and representing, um, I am promoting and representing something that's so much bigger than me in the culture and context of America or Western culture and ballet culture in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a, you having just been promoted, you know, soloist of the American Ballet Theatre is, is, is such a, a huge achievement for anyone. It's, you know, as a, as an artist and as a dancer, it's, you are one of the best companies in, in the world. It's so wonderful. 
Uh, I just want to go back to what, what it was like for you being on tour with the other famous company, the Bolshoi, who mm. obviously are world-renowned. Um, and obviously, as you mentioned, you are given those opportunities for your technical skill, your artistic ability. Um, what was that experience like being on the road, on the road with the famous Bolshoi? It was unparalleled, um, so, so amazing. I, it was my first, you know, I, it's funny because people are like, oh, like you get in the company, it's so different. I felt now, especially in retrospect, but then and now, especially uh, my last, my last years um, in, in the Bolshoi school were, were like being in a company. We were very much responsible for ourselves. Um, we would go on tour. They were like, here's, uh, some per diem go and like show up to class tomorrow. Um, so I was, I, it felt like I was a company member already. Um, but definitely, you know, walking and rubbing elbows with, uh, Natalia Osipova and Ivan Vasilyev and all these other Bolshoi stars, just those are the easiest for people to know. Um, Vlad Lentratov and, and Artyomov Cherenko, um, was incredible for me. I, 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 joke with people and say that I grew up in Russia because I was such a young, I was such a young person that I had my formative teen years there. And so those are my idols. Those are my, my everythings. Um, and yeah, I, it was, I can't even really describe how amazing it felt to be on stage where Osipova was, you know, maybe playing the main character, but I was the soloist. So I was kind of, you know, I was, we were doing La Fima Gardet and, and I was, they had a, in the Russian version, there's this part called Dvoiki, which is like the two friends of, of the main guy. And um, so I'm just like holding arms with Vlad Lantratov on stage, just like swinging around. And um, yeah, it was, it was really, really incredible. Well, just as, as an aside, you, you named just some, some of the, the greats that I absolutely loved interviewing you know, Natasha I popped around to her house she lived around the corner and I popped yeah. around and interviewed her um, which was a, an amazing conversation and Artem as well who's on the cover of my I think fifth edition of the magazine wow. um, I went to Moscow and uh, uh, he and uh, his wife Anna we went into it's just a bit of an aside, but we went into this amazing photo shoot um, with uh, Dari and Volkova, and it was just like an incredible to be in Moscow. I absolutely yeah. just was blown away by obviously Moscow, but I mean the company comes to London, and we're lucky um, to see such and have such great stars like you know Natalia here. Um, but to be with them, what a, what a what a, an amazing like stepping stone for you. Getting back to your story, <laughs> uh, where you come back to the US and you join the American Ballet Theatre Studio Company and then into the main company uh, back in 2012. What was that like for you? Was this your dream company after the Bolshoi or what was your uh, thinking? No, actually, um, to be completely honest, I someone i i now i can formulate this better and i've said it in different ways over um, a period of time but um you know i may never have consciously thought about being black in dance um when i didn't need to or when it wasn't presented to my my face um but i do remember being really young and seeing carlos acosta at the royal ballet um and maybe I didn't make a direct connection, but I think I did think 
well, oh, like without question, he's playing all the princely roles. He's doing Don Q as well. He's doing this, that, and the other thing, but he's, he's just, he's a dancer. He's an amazing dancer. So he does everything. Um, so I even, I just recently came across this interview from when I graduated from the Bolshoi Ballet, um, where it's in Russian and they say, uh, I said something like, oh, I have an audition for Bolshoi when I was graduating next week. Um, and if I don't get in there, then I'm going to try to go to Covent Garden. So, um, I never saw myself dancing in America, not because I didn't think that ABT was amazing, but I just didn't. I guess I didn't see myself. I didn't see the representation and subconsciously wanted to go to Royal. Um, ABT happened by accident. Um, I have one of those birthdays that um, either you're too young for the class or you're too old for the class. And in the case of Bolshoi, I was younger, um, graduated when I was 16, I want to say. <laughs> I hope that's, I think that's right. Uh, 16. So I could have gone back for one more year. And uh, they were like, okay, like, go back to America, do your thing, come back for one more year. So I come back to America. I'm like, oh, I should do something. I'd take the ABT summer intensive. Uh, the director, Kevin McKenzie, teaches a few classes. And then I get offered uh, a contract to go to the studio company. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess I should, I, I think I should do this, I guess. That makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, that. I uh, joined the studio company that fall season, that fall, yeah. Wow. Well, maybe one day we'll see you over here at Covent Garden, maybe, we'll or at <laughs> Royal, where Carlos is now the artistic director. Yeah. Another, another incredible dancer. What an incredible man as well, I have to say. Yeah. He's a, a true inspiration. Yeah. Lovely, lovely, lovely man. So, ABT, what was your first year like in the company do you remember you know your sort of first year and you're in your first professional company well actually you've already had you know quite a bit of you know experience with companies to date but yeah. yes here you are you've arrived at your company yeah so it's funny because um so i joined the studio company and i was only in studio company for about four and a half five months before i was taken into the company and honestly, um, studio company felt like um, a step down in terms of um, not level, but just in terms of I felt like I was very free at the Bolshoi. I was lit handed per diem and walking around Greece by myself. Um, and then it kind of was, you know, a step into the school system a bit. Um, ABT's studio company has gone through a bunch of things, ABT2, ABT studio company, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think generally when it's called studio company, it was a little bit more married to the school. So I was, I was in between and thankfully we didn't have to wear uniforms, but they were on the cusp of making us wear uniforms. Um, I was like, nope. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it felt like a weird step down. And then, and then I joined the company and was thrown into the machine of ABT walking down the hallway, like rubbing elbows with um, Irina Dvorovanko and Paloma Herrera and taking class next to Sasha Rodetsky and all these, these big, big names. Um, I was accustomed to being close to those sorts of people, but also it was still amazing. So I knew how to act, but of course, internally I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Um, but I do remember my first rehearsal with ABT was F Firebird, Alexi Ratlansky's Firebird. 
And of course I know, knew who that was because he was, you know, director of Bolshoi. Um, and I, funny story, I was in the back of the room, apprentice, not doing anything, you know, just standing and watching. Uh, everyone leaves the room after the rehearsal and he's sitting in the front with uh, ballet mistress Nancy Rafa. And I go up to him in, you know, my the Russian training way, um, but not imposing my Russian language because I didn't want to like confuse him because that confuses people um, for obvious reasons. Um, and I, I'm like, hi, uh, Lexi, my name's Gabe. And he's like, you're Gabe Sonshare. And I was like, yes. And he's like, your teacher was Ilya Kuznetsov. And I was like, yes. And he switches to Russian. He's like, so I can speak to you in Russian, yes? And I was like, yes. And he's like, great, I'll see you around. <laughs> Welcome to ABT. Um, and that was just like, <laughs> like, cho like choked up, like, I was like, I can't. Okay, well, life is over. I'm done. I'm, <laughs> that's it. Um, and then, so after that, Alexi would, would uh, feature me in a lot of amazing work. And one of the first things I was learning with ABT that following fall season uh, was the Shostakovich trilogy uh, that he made where I was third cast for Ivan Vasilyev and Daniil Simkin. Um, so that was, and I was an apprentice. So that was, <laughs> that was unheard of and really, really crazy. Um, Amazing. Yeah. yeah. To this day, I'm like, I'm so thankful to have had Alexi pushing for me um, for my whole career because I don't know where I would be. So worth studying Russian for all of, all of those years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a very tight knit community. If you speak it, then it works for you. Yeah, I can imagine. My goodness. But now you're a soloist. Tell me about, well, you've been promoted soloist at a very strange time. Um, this is, you know, we can continue to use the words unprecedented, challenging, devastating, and Very all of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, we, we are in these times. Um, what yeah. does it feel like being promoted pretty much during this period while mm -hmm. life is very different, probably, you know, definitely to what you would have expected to have experienced? For sure. For sure. You know, um, I think this time um, in terms of the pandemic and in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement has presented a lot of emotional um, responses uh, from, from everyone, including big organizations like American Ballet Theater. And uh, in terms of my promotion, you know, for the past six years at least, and that's being nice because I joined nine years ago and was third cast for Ivan Vasiliev. Um, but for at least the past six years, uh, I've been dancing almost exclusively soloist roles and, and um, bits and pieces of principal roles. And I've done uh, a few full-length ballets, Alexis, I've done whipped cream, um, Corsair, and, and a few others too. Um, I've danced with Misty Copeland since I was 15. Um, and so it was, you know, I'd been waiting for it for a long time, to say the least. Uh, um, that's and I'd been kind of pigeonholed um, in terms of my character as a person and, and, and uh, my, what people thought my abilities were or my, um, I don't know, who, what people assumed of me. And, and so this doesn't feel that different, <laughs> to be completely honest. It's, it's, real, it's a huge relief. Um, 
I imagine people who haven't gotten to actually do the roles of their ranks, which there are a few who were promoted that haven't actually done some of those roles, feel kind of slighted because they can't be on stage right now. They can't, you know, come into their their rank and role as a principal or whatever. Uh, but I've been doing all of these soulless roles for years, so I'm kind of like, great, so now I have the title. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like um, cool, been doing that work for years now, but thank you for the title. <laughs> um, hey, so thanks. In, yeah, finally. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. So, so waiting a while. Way, yeah, I was like, I knew it because I've been doing this, but um, so in that way, it's not, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything because I've already done a lot of, if not all of the soloist repertoire. So um, now I'm kind of just waiting for the next one. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully yeah. Um, you don't have to wait, you know, another six years for your next promotion. As you say, you've been dancing the soloist roles and principal roles and rubbing shoulders and dancing on stage with, you know, the greatest names of ballet today. Yeah. Um, so well overdue and well deserved, but it also does um, bring into that sort of the view of is it, um, and obviously for you it's not, because the roles versus the title. Because you've been doing all of the roles and now you have the title. Um, but as you say, there are some who have been got the title but they haven't had the opportunity to do the roles but now you're just waiting to step back onto stage and what's your return journey going to be like to getting back onto stage and be able to you know have the title over and over yourself and continue to do what you're doing before and hope to get promoted quicker for you know for the next yeah. next season perhaps yeah I mean you know I'm working on so many projects right now um, that I otherwise would not have had the opportunity to devote so much time to. Um, and so I think within that, um, stepping back, I think that obviously um, there's no direct algorithm to how, why, or what, or when um, in terms of promotions, clearly. And so with that being said, I'm doing a lot of things that I want to do for my artistic fulfillment, but also um, to forward the dance community, the ballet world, to change these narratives, to do all these different things. And I think um, those actions will hopefully speak um, towards um, or be tokens or whatever, speak towards um, the things that I'm trying to achieve um, rank-wise at American Ballet Theatre and, and in general as, as an artist and as a dancer. Um, so I do have something coming up that I'm not going to talk about yet, okay. uh, but I will say that I will be dancing. Um, I'll be dancing and you'll oh. see it. <laughs> well, we love the yeah. thought of you dancing. That sounds fantastic yeah. and it sounds like a nice secret coming down the line. Very, 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 yeah. very exciting. We'll have to, you know, plug that one. That one's that one's ready. Yeah. But today you so you've been creating work. What inspired you to start choreographing um, in the first place? Tell me about that inspiration. Yeah. So I've been choreographing my whole life as well. So um, making up little dances when I was young, doing talent shows at my elementary and middle school. Um, I always. Uh, I say, I say 
quite literally live to music. I, there's a song, it changes, but there's a song that I turn on to clean my house because um, I like the, the dipping beats for the sweeping and the folding. Um, it's just, you know, I, I like literally live to music. And, and so, um, you know, I, I listen to music and sometimes I envision steps or I envision um, the intent behind um, the music, my interpretation of it and have wanted to manifest um, this uh, parts of this album um, by Alfred Arnold's as among, uh, amongst a few other artists um, into a ballet uh, because it's something that I, I just wanted to get out. It's like I had to uh, artistically purge it and it's been sitting there for so long. So um, right now is the perfect opportunity to, now that we knew we could get together in some capacity, with protocol, um, COVID protocol and testing and locking yourself down, blah, blah, blah. Um, I got a group together um, of my colleagues to one, first and foremost, um, employ them because we don't have employment right now. We're not really being paid our normal salary or at all during um, big chunks that we were supposed to be. Um, You're furloughed at the moment, is that right? Uh, no, that's New York City Ballet. So we, oh. we, it's a very, it's kind of complicated, but long story short, right now we're going to be paid 60% of our salary for four weeks. Wow. Um, yeah. So, um, but before that we were on, you know, our summer layoff and before that we had the season that was, we were being paid. And then before, from March until May, we weren't really getting anything. So it was, wow. it was a, we, there were huge chunks of time when we were, you know, people had to move out of their apartments. It was, it's crazy. So I was, I, I was like, if I can raise money to employ these dancers, but also give back a product, um, you know, having to think like a businessman as well, while also doing something that I really want to do, um, I think it's the perfect combination um, and the perfect platform for something to grow um, into a bigger thing. So, yeah, I brought a bunch of my colleagues down to where I had been quarantined um, for months uh, on Long Beach Island, New Jersey, there's a, a large facility called the Foundation of Arts and Science. It's essentially a huge gallery space um, with a bunch of different levels. And uh, I got ABT to donate their sprung floor to me because they weren't using it for anything. Um, and we worked for two weeks. Um, that's, it wasn't exactly two weeks. It was actually seven. We worked for seven days. Um, we got there on a Monday. We started working on Tuesday. I gave them Sunday off because I wanted to be a nice director. <laughs> and then we had a performance um, on that Thursday or last Thursday. So, yeah, we put together a 30-minute ballet in, in seven days. And um, there's definitely parts of it that I want to expand and, and pieces that I want to add to it. But it was a pretty finished product um that i'm very proud of and um proud of the dancers as well because they completely contributed to the process so tell me a, 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 about the ballet what what was it was it a narrative ballet was it based on a story tell me about, about it so the ballet is is abstract ish um but there was a common thread that i think went through the whole the whole ballet which was um the questions that we ask um, in humanity. I know it's little subject matter. Um, tiny, tiny, <laughs> yeah, subject matter. tiny, easy, super easy. Um, no, but I wanted, so there were three kind of main sections. 
um, with divvied up into like threes, um, let's say. So the first section kind of was um, presenting the question of why do we follow religious practices um, and what, what is within this repetition. Um, and it's to be presented as a question, not a challenge. Um, it's just kind of the first number, there's a, there's a, a it's a solo by Katie Williams, um, where she's kind of lamenting and, and kind of going, you see her struggling, going back and forth between this, this prideful carriage and then going into these weird positions. And I kind of wanted to play, I played with um, the Seven Deadly Sins. It's not exactly that, but I played with the Seven Deadly Sins for her solo um, and talked about the juxtaposition of, you know, being human, but also being ashamed of being human or being, or having to answer to this book or this higher power that we don't know about. Um, not to say my opinion, again, my opinion is my opinion is not, to be yeah. put on anyone, but it is just presenting this question. So uh, she played that beautifully. Then it goes into a group section where everyone's kind of, you know, in church-ish. Um, it's this beautiful choir um, singing. Um, and the women do these repetitive movements and the men are a bit more free because there's some, you know, misogynistic tones to some of these things. And yeah. um, she's the higher power. There's a bunch of things going on. So it kind of has like, different layers and there's a longer version that I can explain, but it's, you know, playing with the idea of like why and um, just look at yourself, think about it. Um, and then it gets more into um, love. And, and um, one of my favorite parts is this pot of deux between these two people, um, Luciana Paris and her husband, Jonathan Luhan. Um, I definitely used their stories and everyone's stories within the work. I had the intent, I had the idea. I, I knew this piece of music was going to be a love pas de deux, but it was gonna have layers to it. It's kind of somber. Um, it's, you know, I, I quoted a passage from a poem um, and it was, um, I can't seem to make out your face, but even in the dark, I know that you're smiling and not saying all the same things I don't say. Um, and I kind of was obsessed with the idea of we never really know what's going on in each other's heads. We don't, even if we tell each other about our past, there's, there's so much to us that maybe um, not, we can't comprehend um, from each other, but love is this weird common thread that um, supersedes anything like that, um, but also comforts when, when those things present themselves and, and, and you know it's it's uh, it's a push pull, um, so it's kind of like a a somber, happy, love, weird feeling part of the. And, and I, I really I really loved what they did with it and what I learned about them and put into the piece, um, which other people won't really know, but adds to the richness of of their emotion in it. Um, and then lastly, um, it kind of is a nudge slash wink to the audience. There's like it goes back into spirituality because um, like the world, like science, you can only calculate to a point. Um, scientists can say there's the cosmos and then we have these things. And then if you ask them why to a point, there's no answer. So it kind of turns back into, 
well, why don't we just like dance around a fire and look at the trees? You know, like it's uh, it's kind of like a wink to the audience. And that's definitely, um, there's another pas de deux that I did somewhere else um, that I would add to it. That kind of is a duet between a male and a woman and um, a male and female. And you don't know if they're a priest, a priestess, a god and a goddess, or just two humans dancing around a fire, worshiping the moon. So um, yeah, it's, that's a very long-winded version. There is a longer version, but that's kind of what the piece is about. Um, all of those questions and, and it's there for people to interpret and find themselves in. There's certainly, you're certainly not afraid to tackle the big questions and to challenge your audience. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as we mentioned before, the backdrop, um, particularly in America, less so than over here with Black Lives Matter and with what's going on with the pandemic and, you know, with politics and with religion. You know, these are quite big, quite challenging questions depending on, as you say, how one looks at oneself and how one looks at the world that's going on around us. Um, and it is quite something to tackle those big questions through, through ballet, but ballet and dance must tackle those questions. And yeah. as a young artist, it's great to see you taking on, you know, not only you know wanting to build funding and you know employ the other dancers, but also to use it as an opportunity to to really explore some of these subject matters. And I just I just wonder, sort of, you know, because you're over in New York and it's very different to over over here in London. What it feels like for you as this young artist in this situation, at which you know, for many listeners, uh, you know, it's unimaginable and a lot of people do not appreciate that in this moment, dancers, like you say, aren't being paid. There are no jobs. Companies aren't being able to perform. Over here, the government has just announced new restrictions. We still don't know what's going to mean for the dance industry, but it's pretty much on its knees anyway. So I just wonder what it feels like for you and because your backdrop is very different and your person, you know, your situation amongst this is very different, particularly yeah. to mine, as a, you know, yeah. a white woman in London <laughs> from Australia. <laughs> yeah. It's a very different experience, obviously. Yeah, I would say that, you know, I, you know, I can't impose upon people that it's important just for important sake. I have to show them. Um, and I found that true in, a, in many different things. And so um, I can just, you know, make a, a GoFundMe and say, hey, dancers need money. But I think it's more important and more of a responsibility um, that I'm, 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 I'd love to take on um, to show people that this is something that's important. You know, when all the buildings burn down and nature takes over, um, we're still going to dance. Uh, we're still going to love. We're still going to um, have humanity um, minus materialistic things and minus all these other things. So um, it's an important tool for communication. And um, especially when you're stuck in your apartment, it's important to find beauty and in, in something and in anything. And um, I think dance, ballet can present a fantasy dance um as as not ballet but ballet and dance as a vocabulary can can definitely reflect or help you reflect upon the current times and the narratives that um no one speaks about or um that you don't speak about so 
yeah, I think uh, as an artist, I feel, I say responsibility, but it doesn't feel like a responsibility, but it is a responsibility for me to help communicate the why um, to art existing. Yeah, absolutely. And when you finally make it back on stage um, and there will be, you know, back in your soloist role, there will be many a, a young, a young, um, young black man, young black dancer, young male dancer, young dancer, looking at, at you within, on stage with the American Ballet Theatre. And you mentioned before when you were growing up, you didn't see that representation. And of course, Misty, you know, global, global name, quite rightly, global brand. Mm -hmm. um, as, a, as a role model, um, and you talked about responsibility before, but as a role, a role model, what's, what sort of advice would you give to other aspiring dancers who perhaps don't see enough representation, um, who would love to follow in your footsteps? and hear this story and think as you did looking to Carlos thinking you know perhaps one day I, I, I'd love to do that yeah you know this time is so beautiful because it's it's um I think the awareness in everyone has has grown so much so um people at least people of color are are learning to love themselves love their hair love their um their bodies more um and so something that I would say and then elaborate on um, that I say to myself and I would say to my younger self is keep exercising your excellence, to keep exercising your excellence. Um, because, you know, phrasing it that way uh, makes you realize that you are excellent and you have that within you to exercise. But to exercise means to, to train, to make sure that this tool that you have, whatever you have inside of you, needs shaping and molding and that you have the power to make that happen for yourself um, with the help of hopefully an image of, of someone um, in a place that you want to be. That's absolutely wonderful. And I know so many people will be inspired by you and by what you're doing, not just within the company, but the Creative Genius Project as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me from New York. For listeners, don't forget to go and donate to the Creative Genesis Fund. Search on GoFundMe, Creative Genesis, and follow Gabe on Instagram at Gabe Stone Shea. Thank you so much, Gabe. Thank you for having me. Don't forget to subscribe. We've got some incredible interviews coming up with principal ballerinas and renowned choreographers. We love dance and ballet, and we hope you'll love us. Join us on Facebook and Twitter.